hey, um, just a couple couple things before I get really started here. Um, we've got a brand new Connect group starting this week um, with Stephanie Monty. You want to wave your hand, Stephanie, if you, she's right there. So th- this Connect group is going to be a little bit different than we've done in the past um, because it's online. And, uh, and so you're, you'll be able to connect in an online group with her. And there's, uh, there's I, think, I, I think it might be in the bulletin about how, but you could also um, find Stephanie right after this if you're wondering um, how to connect in this connect group. It's about heavenly perspectives, really based off of the book that she wrote. Um, and there's also going to be people from across the state that are a part of it too. So interesting connect group, um, super exciting to kind of just try something in a new way. Um, you may find that it's hard to get out on Tuesday nights for whatever reason, or you just like to do connect groups in your pajamas, and this might be a way <laughs> to do that. Just turn off the video camera part, though, if you're... Okay. All right. And uh, so, so let us know how that goes, Stephanie, because that's, that's, that's going to be kind of a cool thing. Um, uh, Pastor Kelly talked about um, our Easter invite cards, and um, um, how many is impl- uh, planning on inviting someone to church next week? Right, that's a, that was kind of a, a trick, guilt trip question. So, no, hey, here, here's the, this is what we do. Um, uh, let me just say it this way. We are all called to, to share our faith with people, to share the gospel. Some of us have a gift of evangelism. Um, I would say that the gift of evangelism isn't mine. There's a few people in our church that, that definitely have that, and you can tell, and they, it's just easy at gas stations and Walmart and family reunions. How many know family reunions are the place that, that you have to have courage even more than the gas station sometimes? Um, but So we're all called to do that. How many know that, that, does, that, that even if you don't have the gift, that you're still called to share your faith? We know that that's true. Like, ah, But um, also, how many know that it's hard and, uh, and you got to start somewhere. This is what we do. We want to give each of us a safe opportunity to start somewhere. That is, hey, invite them to church. Here's, here's a, we, we give you a, a connect card with an ad- address or a, a map on the back. And all you have to do is say, would you come to church? I'll meet you there. Super easy, not too scary. And guess what? This, is be, this will be my, um, my promise to you. If you get them here... I'll share the gospel with them next week. Is that a good idea? I mean, I know that you, you really have, are, are commanded by God to do that too and all that. And one of these days, maybe you'll get some more courage and a little bit more confidence and how to do that and everything. But hey, just this next week, this is, my, this is my commitment. You get them here and I'll share it with them. Does that sound good? Are we all good with that? Would you go? There is stacks. We spent money. I don't want those to go to waste. There are stacks of Easter invite cards out on the welcome table would you take at least three or four um hundred all right there's not that many but but take three or four with you as you leave today um hey this is what we're we're, we're in the legacy series and next week we're going to wrap up legacy on resurrection sunday and uh, we're going to just see um about jesus and how he left the the legacy par excellence for us to follow. But uh, today we're gonna we're gonna continue this, um, and in a few minutes I'll tell you who we're gonna talk about. Um, really exciting. But this is this is one of those sermons um, that doesn't translate well to other cultures and nations. And usually you want to preach a sermon that can be preached anywhere. Anybody like travel uh, uh, overseas ever? Right? We got a couple a couple of people. We, 
if you, 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 want the, you want it to be able to be preached anywhere and everywhere, right? The, the, if it works here, it's got to work there. This is one of those that doesn't, and it's on purpose. I'll t- let me just give you the main thought today, and then, and then you'll, you'll start to understand why this doesn't work everywhere. Main thought. If I want to leave a legacy like the people I read about in the Bible and throughout history, I can't play it safe when it comes to my walk with God. Yeah, I had to really get this in me this week um, because this, like, it, it's going to, I'm just going to say, it's going to start to sting. But if we were in another country, they'd say, what are you talking about, Jonathan? Like, we don't, <laughs> like, uh, our life isn't safe. <laughs> we, we had a missionary came, come in last week. Like, they are, um, like, they're in danger to be where they're at. Does that make sense? Why? So this message is for Americans <laughs> and those in the Western culture, in, in, in countries that are, that are um, that it's free to, to worship the Lord. This is going to be, because there's some countries that if, you, if I preach this, they're going to be like, ah, that, that's like Christianity 101. That's like our, that's like Discover Track. <laughs> no, just joking. Like this is, this is, this is easy sauce to some of them. For us, it's going to sting a little bit and it's meant to, um, so don't be mad at me. Be mad at Jesus. And just let it, just, you know, if it does, guilt and shame and condemnation um, doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. So don't receive it like that. But just as you're, as you're hearing some things, let it, just let it challenge you in a good way and say, you know what? I want to be closer to God tomorrow than I am today. I want to follow him closer tomorrow than, than I do today. If there's anything that is just, uh, that I've grown up with, it's just an American mindset, that's just a, a, you know, whatever type, the family I grew up in mindset, the church I've attended all my life, my, if it's whatever it might be, can you just be okay if the Lord says, hey, I want that. I just want that, okay? And I want you to know that um, I'm preaching this at myself too. So we're all, can we all just be in the same boat today and be all right? Okay, good, 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 good. Let me just say that thought again. If I want to leave a legacy like the people I read about in the Bible and throughout history, I can't play it safe when it comes to my walk with God. Um, and we're talking about leaving a legacy. We're talking about, hey, when, uh, when I'm gone, right? When, I, when, 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 when I'm gone and generations after me are, are carrying the baton, carrying the torch, like what have I left? Some of us are going to leave more than others. You're going to leave a legacy whether, uh, whether you like it or not. My challenge throughout this series is what if we're intentional about that legacy and what if it's a godly legacy like some of the people we read about? Um, what is playing at Satan? This, this, this is, so don't be mad, but let me just, can we just be together on this and know that we're all probably in this boat, okay? Um, what does playing it safe look like? Playing it safe looks like Jesus being an add-on to everything else in your life. Okay? In other words, he's, he's, uh, he's an option. He's part of it. He's just not, not everything. Playing it safe looks like the status quo. That's a real American way to look at things. You know, it's just kind of you know, this is just what we do. We're just kind of, kind of uh, making making money, and you know, uh, time to make the donuts, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's just status quo. Yeah, it looks a lot like, uh, you know, 
like good growing 401ks and good jobs and white picket fences. Playing it safe looks like everything is neat in a row with limited possibility for mess. All right? We, we, still, we still awake? Playing it safe looks like being a peacekeeper instead of a peacemaker. Oh, right? And maybe you're like me who, who tends towards peace, peacekeeper, right? So, so playing it safe is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the peace. I'm not going to ruffle the feathers. I'm not going uh, to head into that, to that conversation that I need to have. I'm not going to talk to that person I need to talk to. I'm just going to play it safe. So I'm going to be a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. Do you know that there were, there were wars fought so that we could have peace? So peacemaker is, is my, the goal. The end goal is peace, but I'm going to fight for it. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, playing it safe looks like avoiding anything that could be hard or challenging. Now that's really American. Avoiding anything that could be hard or challenging. Watch this one. Just, a look, just one, step, one step further. I felt the lemon juice in the paper cut when I wrote this. Playing it safe looks like avoiding pain, discomfort, and fear. Oh, man. But I thought, like, like to follow Jesus meant, like, we, we get, like, healed and whole, and there's no more pain and no more discomfort and no more opportunity for fear. I don't know what toxic cocktail you drink, but that is... Try telling that to somebody in a country who's dying for their faith. We, 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 get, caught, we get caught up in what theology do we believe about the end times. You know, is, is, he coming, is he coming before, middle, or after, and all this stuff? And, and I'll tell you what, you go over to another country, they're like, I don't, it feels like tribulation already. Feels like wars and rumors of wars. It feels like like people's heads are being cut off. It feels like people are being persecuted. You know, there's more Christians that have died for their faith in, in today in, the, in 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 recent history than than in all history combined. We're like, I, I think it's this, and we wrestle over. And I, I have my own leanings on, on on theology. And if you want to nail me to the wall, but guess what? Like some some places around the world, like pain, discomfort, and fear is like ever present and you got to figure out how to walk with Jesus in the midst that's interesting playing it safe well it looks a lot like the American church absolutely yeah you know we don't see a lot of miracles because we don't need a lot of miracles but did I ever tell you the story of being in Cuba and the pastor, you know, like they're so, like their churches are packed. You're, you're there. I mean, people are out. Are, you, we couldn't do like our, our American dramas and, and, and songs that we would come to bless them with. We couldn't do them the normal way because they were all the way up to the stage and like, like they, we didn't have any room to do what we had come to plan to do because they were, and there were people outside the church hanging out the windows looking in there were people outside the door like they just wanted to hear i mean it was and i remember us asking the pastor like why do you have so much faith here in cuba and he's like well in, in america you have tylenol and, and in cuba we have to pray 
Yeah, we don't see a lot of miracles because we don't need a lot of miracles. Because we've, we've been able to figure it out on our own. We, we need God when, um, you know, when, it, when things get, get crazy. <laughs> it's just not a lifestyle for us. In general, we're not desperate for God. We just kind of want Him on our own terms. On the smorgasbord of our life. We, we ask questions like this. And I say we, us, Americans, American church, Christian people, watch this. How can I live my life as close to the way I want and still make it to heaven? <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't that so true? We just kind of, we want our life and enough Jesus to make it there. Watch. So here, here let's go on the positive side now. Whew, everyone take a deep breath. This is what taking risks look like. Taking risks looks like being willing to lay everything down for Jesus. And I mean everything down. Everything. Like when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, I've done all this type of stuff. And he's like, good, good, good. What else must I do to be saved, to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, Go and sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor and come and follow me. Now, was it about money? Was it, no, it was the thing. It was, it was what was, he, Jesus knew what was so important to the rich young ruler. And to him, it would look like selling everything. But we at least have to be willing. Lord, my, my career is yours. My family is yours. Um, my... Uh, the money in my bank account, my materials, uh, everything, uh, my car, my clothes, my, like anything. If, it's, if, it, if it hurts at all to give something up, to give it away, if, if you're, then, then things have you instead of you having things. Taking risks looks like an exciting adventure with Jesus in control and not me. Some of you are like, that's exciting. Others of you are like, wait a minute, how did he put exciting there? Someone else in control? Taking risks looks like pressing into relationships instead of avoiding them. Yeah. Taking risks looks like realizing that a full-on walk with God isn't always neat and predictable. We'll have 40 people in church next week. Taking risks looks like Jesus embracing me in my pain, discomfort, and fear. Taking risks looks like the mother or father doing everything they know how to model what it looks like to be all in with their walk with God before their kids. It looks like pay cuts and demotions. It looks like moving and seemingly starting over someplace. It looks like talking to a friend or family member about Christ. It looks like finally forgiving somebody. It looks like giving your heart to Jesus for the first time or even rededicating your life to him like brand new all over again like you never did it before. 
looks like my great-grandpa that I talked to you about a few weeks ago, who he was the first-generation Christian and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Taking risks looks like my parents at age 53 who decided, hey, you know what? Instead of like, like riding off into the sunset, let's move to another country and do missions work. It's like my uncle who worked for a major company and was slid across the desk 250,000 shares and at the same time he slides across the desk a letter of resignation because he knew what God had called him to there's some things it's going to look a little bit different for each person and this is where we get to say God what's it look like for me for my home for my family to not play it safe when it comes to my walk with God. There's somebody that I feel like didn't, didn't play it safe that we can learn from here in just a minute, but have you ever read like the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11? That's a great place to go if you're just wondering about people. I mean, oh, throughout the whole chapter, it's by faith so-and-so, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith this, and you get to see like what they did, like the risks that they took to, in fact, you, maybe you remember the, the pastor years ago, he's, he's, he's passed away since, but um, John Wimber, he said, I, I spell faith R-I-S-K. I like towards the end of Hebrews chapter 11, and the author of Hebrews says this in verse 32, and, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and, and who uh, became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they, they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned what? Something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Oh, man. I love the warm, fuzzy parts of Scripture. Watch this. Peter. Peter. If you want to, like, follow the life of somebody and say, hey, I want, I want to be a risk taker. It's Peter. And then Jesus. Jesus is, is number one. Peter, number two. Peter, Jesus next week. Peter this week. Peter. Peter's awesome. It, it starts off, um, uh, you, you start to see a little bit of his life. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. It's all of the disciples, but Peter's there, 
And this is what Peter would have heard. He would have said, Watch out for the false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. What's Jesus saying here? To his new recruits, you're not ready yet. Stay as close to me as possible. It's dangerous out there. That's what we hear in Matthew 7. He had, uh, he had just, uh, a few chapters before, uh, at the end of chapter 4, um, um, he, uh, they, they had, uh, he had called his disciples. Some of those, so Peter was part of this, and they were, they were getting ready to, to start their internship with Jesus. Starting in verse 8, or I'm sorry, chapter 8, we start to go on. And, and this is some of the stuff Peter, all of the disciples, but we're focusing on Peter. Peter would have, in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, you, you see that Jesus heals a man with leprosy and says, don't tell anybody. And Peter's there. You're wondering what's going through Peter's mind. Like, number one, Jesus touched, touched an unclean and he didn't become unclean. Peter, like everything, everything that they ever knew. Jesus, uh, first of all, rabbit trail. Did you know that Jesus wasn't a safe person? Contrary to our popular opinion, Jesus didn't walk around in a bathrobe and blonde hair and he wasn't Swedish. He was fully Jewish. Fully. And, and he had come to, to not start a new religion called Christianity. In fact, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, except for the fact that he was God and, and, and had foreknowledge, Christianity wasn't even in his vocabulary. He, he had come to fulfill the Old Testament to bring this, this uh, Hebrew Jewish religion that God started and to fulfill that and, to, and for people to, to follow him that this was this is what it was going to be and Jesus if he would play it safe he would, he would, we would have had a whole lot different discussion between him and the Pharisees sometimes if he were to, to play it safe he wouldn't go to some places that I'm going to talk to you about today like, Jesus was not a safe person. And at the same time, <laughs> it's like the eye of the storm. Like, man, maybe being as close to him as possible is the safe, safest place you can be. Oh, it, it, it's amazing when you think about it. Okay. Peter, back to Peter. Matthew, Matthew 8, verse 5, Peter sees a, um, a centurion, Roman centurion, who had come and, and wanted his servant to be healed. <laughs> and, uh, and instead of Jesus going and touching him, the centurion says, no, 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 if only you would just say the word, my servant is going to be healed. And, and Peter's watching this and realizes, wait a minute, he doesn't even have to touch them? He could just say the word? You see, Peter's in school right now. He's, he's learning some things along the way. 
You, you go on, and uh, later in chapter 8, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law's fever. Actually, I went to um, the place where, where that house is, where his mother-in-law's house, and they, that was pretty cool. Je- Jesus healed a fever. What did Peter learn about that? He cares about fevers. Dead coming back to life, water to wine, leprosy cleansed, and fevers. And fevers. He cares about fevers. It was after that that the demon possessed and the sick were brought to him, and, and the Bible says all were healed. I mean, you can imagine all the disciples, but we're talking about Peter, and he's sitting here, he's like, What? This is a way different form of Judaism than I grew up learning about. I mean, right? This was, this was way, way different. In, like, like mind-blowing, paradigm-shifting. People are getting healed. Miracles are happening all over the place. At the end of chapter 8 in Matthew, two demon-possessed men from, from the Gadarenes coming from the tombs were were set free and, and the demons were sent into pigs. You guys, if you were here last week, I think you saw the, the picture of where the pigs went over the hill uh, around the Sea of Galilee. Like, Peter's watching this. He's there this whole time. Uh, how did, how did uh, Jesus do discipleship? This is how Jesus did it. This was, there, there was, there was a, I, I think it's a four-step process. Jesus did it and they watched. Jesus did it and they helped. They did it, and Jesus watched, and then he just sent them out, and they did it. That was uh, just a real simple process. It was, a, it was kind, of, kind of interesting. The, they're in the watch phase right now. The, the little, the, the little in, teenage interns, they're following Jesus around, seeing him do this stuff. They're, they're, their paradigm is shifting into a new way, a brand new way of doing things, following Jesus. We go into chapter 9, and Jesus heals a paralytic. And then he's questioned on his authority to forgive sins. You got to, I mean, uh, the Pharisees are questioning on his authority to forgive sins. And I guarantee you, Peter's thinking, hey, that's a good question. Uh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Probably one of the first times Peter kept his mouth shut. You go on in chapter 9, and the, the ruler's dead daughter comes back to life. The woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment. Remember we did that, that message, I think, uh, was, it, was it last week or the week before? Man. You keep going in chapter 9. He healed the blind men that are following him. You keep going, and he heals a demon-possessed mute man. You keep going, and there's more teaching and preaching at the end of chapter 9. And then he went through all the towns and villages healing what? Every disease and sickness. <sighs> This is, this is what, what Peter's learning. It's about a year and a half between chapter 7 and chapter 10. And this is what, this is what it says in, in chapter 10. At the, right at the beginning of verse 1, it says, He gave the 12 authority to drive out evil spirits to heal every disease and sickness. So they went from, from interns just watching to now all of a sudden, here's the keys to the car. You have the authority to do everything I just did. And watch this verse, Matthew 10, verse 16. 
I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You notice the difference between Matthew 10, 16 and Matthew chapter 7? Chapter 7, beware of the wolves. Be safe. Stay close to me. Matthew 10, go out among the wolves. Be dangerous. You go on from Matthew 10 and you, you, you go a few chapters later. I think it's Matthew 14. There's the feeding of the 5,000 and they're sitting here and there's a whole crowd that gets fed with, with a few loaves of bread and a few fishes and they, and they have 12 basketfuls left over. There's all of this incredible stuff happening. And, um, and then, then we come to a, a defining moment for Peter in Matthew 14 verse 25. Let's look at this together. Remember, he's on this journey. Play it safe, be dangerous. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, just to pause there for a second, I love how often in Scripture they just kind of say things matter-of-factly like, hey, this wasn't a big deal. This was normal for people to walk on lakes. Jesus, shortly before dawn, went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It, it's, it's not quite sunny out yet. It's a little, you know, it's shortly before dawn, so it's, it's, it's dark, and they see somebody coming walking on the lake. You would be scared too. What did they think it was? A ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Uh, there's something about this miracle that's interesting to me. Because most miracles that you see in the Bible are miracles where, like, y you needed to have this happen for some, for some, I mean, even like that first miracle, turning water to wine, it was, I mean, they, were, they ran out of wine, we need more. And it was his mother asking and, like, like, there's at least something tangible that's supposed to come from this. There's a reason why we need this miracle. This one is just like, why do, why do we have this? Why do we need this miracle here? Just take courage. Don't be afraid. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I could think maybe of even a couple different responses other than that. Like, if it's you, come closer so I can see. If it's you, uh, like get in the boat and let's talk. If it's you, let's go out for lunch. If it's you, if it's you, call me to come to you on the water. This is Peter's response. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat. Oh, man. This is... I think part of the reason this story is here, I mean, there's no other reason other than God wants us to get out of the boat sometimes. God doesn't want us to play it safe. He wants us to come to him in the winds and the waves and walk on water. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and was super rude and said, oh, 
Sorry, that part wasn't there. You of little faith. You of little faith. I, I look at that little piece, and it's interesting to me because I'm like, man, I've never walked on water. That was pretty awesome. Give Peter a break. He got out of the boat and actually walked on water. Any of you ever walked on water? No, you haven't. And so I look at Peter. Why would Jesus say, oh, you of little faith? Because he doesn't compare our faith to other people. He compares our faith to us. You see Peter's journey up to that point? Walking on water, man, nothing. And so he compares your faith to you. Where, where are you in your walk with God? Your faith is like a muscle that you exercise, that it gets bigger and bigger. And at this point in Peter's journey, his faith should have added up to, don't worry about the winds and the waves, walk on the water. And Jesus reached down his hand, and he loves Peter. He loves Peter, but he says, hey, uh, this doesn't make sense. You were just walking on water, and you just saw me uh, like feed 5,000 people. And you, like, you saw me heal a fever and leprosy and, like, all kinds of stuff. Like, what's going on, Peter? That's what, I, like, the, the expanded edition of, oh, you have little faith. Like, th- that's what he's saying right now. Like, what is it for you? Your, your faith level is at a certain point. It needs to grow. But he's not going to, he's, Jesus isn't going to say, oh, you have little faith if your faith hasn't gotten to that point yet. He compares your faith to you. He says, why did you doubt? And there's this little, there's this little piece, and I haven't had enough time to meditate on it, but there are a couple thoughts. Verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. It just makes me think that this whole thing was a setup. It, it, it even, even Jesus, like, walking out on water instead of, like, taking a boat. Like, like, this whole thing was a divine setup for these disciples, and specifically Peter, to test their faith so that they could, they could kind of flex their faith muscle a little bit, and he gets into the boat, and whoop, I'll come. Right? My interpretation then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. See, Peter was on this journey. We know between chapter 7 and chapter 10, there was about a year and a half. I don't know how much time has, has elapsed from chapter 10 to right here, but he's been on a journey, maybe two years, maybe a little bit longer, and he's been following him. His faith muscle is growing Jesus is teaching them how to not play it safe anymore, how to take risks, how to, how to be a follower of Jesus that is all in, that literally trusts. There's this, it, the, the, the word like believe, when, a lot of times when we hear in Scripture where it says, um, uh, believe in me, you know, Jesus said or whatever, we we. we kind of funnel it through filter it through our our mindset of what's it mean to believe and oftentimes we're just thinking like believe that he exists believe that god exists believe that this is in you know and that's not what that word means because the devil believes that god exists that the, the type of belief that we need to have is is trust in him 
That's what the word, that's what that word believe means in the original language, really connotates the idea of trusting. It's the, it's the difference between um, believing that the, that the crazy stuntman can walk the wheelbarrow across the, the, the line, across Niagara Falls. I believe you can do it. And then it's the difference of when he says, hey, would you get in the wheelbarrow and I'll wheel across this, this tightrope. Um, that's the place where Jesus is saying, get in my wheelbarrow. We go on from Matthew 14, and uh, Jesus is healing people. In fact, in, in Gennesaret, again, we talked about this, like people would come and they would just touch the hem of his garment. Lots of people would do this and they'd be healed. Heals the, a Canaanite woman. And this was interesting because as you research a little bit, you realize that, that um, the place where this Canaanite woman was was like 50 miles away. Like he went over there. It would have been over on the, um, let's see, on, over on the Mediterranean Sea, but north. It would be close to Lebanon. And you're just like, whoa. Like he goes out of his way, way out of his way to heal a Canaanite woman. And then we come to this turning point, and this is where we're going to camp today for just a few minutes. You guys still with me? Can I just encourage us to not play it safe? Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus... Oh, you know what? I had some pictures, didn't I, Josh? I missed them. Hey, go back. Go back to... So this was, the, I've showed you guys some, this is the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that a cool picture? I took that one. All right. <laughs> Next one. So this is us. We're on a boat in the, in the Sea of Galilee. And we're, we're worshiping, um, worshiping Jesus, worship music going. It was just an incredible moment here. Go in, Next picture. And this was, this, I thought this is a perfect picture of kind of seeing a boat floating and what would it have been like except there would have been winds and waves <laughs> when Jesus says or when Peter says tell me to get out of the boat and Peter got out of the boat isn't that interesting so we're going to from here we're going to Caesarea Caesarea Philippi there's a there's a Caesarea that's on the Mediterranean Sea where Cornelius was um, in oh I think it's like Acts 9 or Acts 10 Acts 10, I think. And, and, then there's a, and then there's Caesarea Philippi, and this is where we find our story right here. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And you've got to understand about Caesarea Philippi. Now, these guys were thoroughly Jewish. Jesus was not starting a brand new religion called Christianity. They were thoroughly Jewish. And Jews don't go here. This is a Greco-Roman city, and Caesarea Philippi was known throughout the ages, throughout the ancient world. I mean, this is, this was, they were known for idol worship. They were known for gross sin. Um, they worshiped many gods. One of the gods was the god um, Pan or Pan. And, uh, and it was, he, he would have been uh, kind of the figure of a, of a man, goat, and they would have done gross uh, sexual uh, sin in worship there. They would have uh, sacrificed um, people to, 
to the god Pan in this place I'm going to show you, they would have even done infant uh, sacrifice and, and put, uh, put babies into, uh, into this place I'm going to talk to you about. It's just gross. It's just gross. And this is Caesarea Philippi. And we know that, um, that the disciples were all teenagers except for Peter. And the reason why we know this is because um, um, to, you, had to, you had to be a certain age to pay taxes. And there was a story in the Bible about um, you know, getting the, um, the coin from the fish's mouth and all of this in order for them to pay. Well, Peter was the only one of them that had to um, pay taxes. So he, was a, he would have been in his 20s at least. Everybody else was a teenagers. The reason why I say that is Jesus took his youth group to Caesarea Philippi. <laughs> That's where they're at. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is interesting. Not only is he, is he saying, I, I know exactly who you are and why you've come, he's also saying, um, I know who you're not. They're in a region of a bunch of dead gods. He, he specifically and intentionally puts the living God here because they are, they are right where idol worship is and people are worshiping all these gods and Peter says you're Messiah you are son of the living God you're not, you're not like any of these other gods that are around here he's declaring Jesus deity Jesus replied blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven and then he says and I tell you that you are Peter and when, when he says that, the name Peter, Petros, uh, it means rock. And, that, and, and when, you, when you study, you, it's pretty easy to find that Peter means rock. And so he says, Peter, you are a rock. Now, this is where theologians get kind of different. If you grew up in a Catholic church, you would have believed that Peter was the first pope. Because Jesus goes on to say here, and on this rock, I will build my church. And I'm just going to, I don't mean to shoot this at anybody, but I will just say, I, um, I, I don't think Jesus was saying that. And this is the reason why. is because God wasn't building his church on any human. And if you grew up in that environment, or you believe, I, I, I totally respect you. This is where, as I've studied, God wasn't building his church on a human. In fact, later on, uh, the apostle Peter in his writings called us living stones. He was one of the living stones. And what did he call Jesus? The chief cornerstone. So, so even Peter didn't think that Jesus built the church on him. He says, no, 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 no. God, Jesus built the church. And there's, there's one of two options, I believe. Either, either Jesus is saying, on the confession of what you just said, Peter, I'm building my church on that, which is very possible. Jesus' confession was that he was Messiah, he was son of the living God, and on that confession, I'm gonna build my church. I think that's possible. I think that's part of it. It's also possible it's something else. I want us to look at some of these pictures, Josh. We are... 
We're in the northern part of Israel, and uh, we were right at the base of Mount Hermon. And this is one of the headwaters of the Jordan River. So this, is, this, this river right here is going to be feeding into the Jordan River. Eventually, the Jordan River, if you've been following along, Jordan River then goes in and be, it becomes the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee goes down, and, and as the Jordan River leaves that, eventually it becomes the Dead Sea. And so this is headwaters. Next picture. This is, this is where we're at. We're in this rocky area. Again, this, uh, this part of the headwaters of the Jordan and uh, we walk back into this area, this rocky um, kind of formation. Next picture. And this is it. This is, there's, a, there's ruins here that are, that are really interesting to see. Um, remember, I talked to you about idol worship. I talked to you about them uh, worshiping other gods and, and human sacrifice and gross sexual acts and even sacrificing babies. Um, I want you to show me the, the next picture here. This kind of is a reconstruction of what this area would have looked like. There would have been temples set up, and this, uh, this temple, this place on the left, would have been where they would have gone, go in and do their, do their sacrifices. Hopefully, maybe you can kind of see that, that cave behind. Um, next picture. And so what people would have believed about this place, whether it's true or not, they would have believed uh, throughout, throughout history, different, uh, all, all different people, group, people groups would have believed this, that, that this was the, the place um, to the underworld. This was the, the entrance to the underworld. This is literally uh, that thin place where, um, where you would go and, uh, and Satan lived, demons, you would sacrifice to the gods right here in this cave. Um, pretty pretty crazy stuff in fact um, one an, an extra biblical book it, not heresy but but not bible there's a book of enoch that would it, it, and, they, and they would have they would have believed uh, the stories of the book of enoch and um, as true even though it wasn't it wasn't canon it wasn't bible enoch the book of enoch would have said that that this place right here at mount Hermon would would be where the fallen angels would have come and and this, if you remember in the um, in Genesis where it talks about the Nephilim and and the 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 angels coming and and um, having relations with with humans and then the and then the Nephilim coming, this would have been where they they would have at least believed that this was the spot, this is that place. Um, this would have been the gateway to the underworld, the gates, the gates of hell. Next picture. This is a little bit bigger or a better, better picture of this, they would have put um, infants and different types of animal sacrifices in, and, and if, the, if the sacrifice sank, then the gods would have received their sacrifice. Um, it would have been a whole lot more, like the, the waters would have been rushing more back then, all those years ago, what, three, four thousand years ago, it would have been rushing, it would have been coming down and feeding that, um, that stream. Really interesting when you, when you see that. Because then it puts into perspective when Jesus is saying this, and he has his youth group here in this this Romo, Roman uh, Greco-Roman place that is uh, that is detestable. You wouldn't want to go. Here. In fact, it, there's indication that Jesus escaped here um, to just uh, get away from the crowds and have time, you know, time of prayer, um, which would be interesting. So evidently, he was uh, not affected by it. He says, "You are Peter." And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And you see here, and the pieces are starting to come together. They're standing somewhere there. Put that picture back up. And they're standing right there. And the way Jesus taught, he would always point to stuff. He would, he would, he would pick up a rock, or he would, he would pick a, a mustard plant, or, or he, and he would show people, he would point to the city on a hill. The, Jesus used imagery, and he used parables, and it was, it was really the way the Hebrew mind thought. It was less philosophy and more illustration, and he would be pointing here when he's talking to Peter, and he would say, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I, I think the other option when Jesus is saying, on this rock I'll build my church, is that he's planning to build his church right next to the gates of hell. Likely, figuratively speaking. In other words, Jesus doesn't play it safe. He's like, we're going to plunder hell and we're going to populate heaven. And the American church, no, no, we're going we're gonna to put our church like in a pasture with daisies and a precious moments, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, on this rock, maybe he was pointing to this rock. On this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In fact, I'm going to give you the keys <laughs> of the kingdom. That's, uh, that's interesting to me. And Peter is a central figure in this story. Peter, your rock. I know that there's been times when your faith has been sh shaken, but look at the journey you've been on, Peter, from back when I told you to, to um, hey, be careful of the wolves, and now all of a sudden I'm saying go out among wolves. Remember that when you stepped out onto the water? Peter, your name is rock. And just like your name is rock, on, on this rock, me, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to, I'm going to build it as close as I can get to the gates of hell because we are going to, we're going to plunder hell and populate heaven. I don't know. It's the way I interpret it anyways. I want us to just be challenged this morning that Jesus never in his mind, and Pastor Kelly and your team can come, Jesus never in his mind thought um, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to create a, a church where people could just come, oh, whenever they feel like it, and then, and then come and just, you know, take a, an hour and a half of their week and live, live differently in that hour and a half than they do the rest of the week. And, like, our American church, where we just kind of have preferences and, uh, man, Jesus didn't never even in a million years plan that or design that I think there's a challenge to me and to you to the church to say okay God what did you originally plan and when you were saying where you were building your church I want to be part of that where's he where's he taking you where's he taking you where's he taking you in in this city and in, in your career? Who, who's he leading you to? What, what, uh, what about not playing it safe applies to your life today? Let's stand this morning.
You know, a really interesting thing about Mount Hermon is um, many people believe that this is also at the top of Mount Hermon would be where um, the Mount of Transfiguration was. Where Jesus came and was glorified as God and Elijah and Moses would have come and Peter, James, and John would have been there. and Literally showing his glory in this region where the gates of hell are not going to prevail. Lord, all over this place, Lord, there's families and there's individuals where it's felt like the gates of hell have been prevailing. And Lord, right now we stand against that right now. That there would be freedom, that there would be divine protection, divine escort, that there would be increased angelic activity and visitation. But Lord, would you show each and every one of us what it means to like not play it safe in our walk with God. To, to respond to you, to see you walking on the water and our first thought is, oh, if it's you, I could come walking on the water too. If it's you, Jesus, I'll come out there. Maybe that would be the litmus test, Lord, that if it's you, I'll do it. If it's you, I'll move. If it's you, I'll go. If it's you, if it's you, Jesus, I'll sell it. If it's you, I'll sign up. If it's you, I'll go to that person. I'll, whatever it is, Lord, the, the thing that makes my heart, like, beat a little bit faster, that makes my hands a little bit sweaty, that, that whatever it might look like, whatever it looks like to not play it safe, God, if it's you, I'll step out of the boat. May we learn from Peter. To leave a legacy like that means to not play it safe. Jesus. We're going to worship to one last song, and... Uh, and then in a few minutes, we'll invite our altar workers. You may have found that somewhere during this, like, you're just not where you want to be in your walk with God. Whatever that looks like, wherever you are on your journey, you're like, man, I, I feel like I just, I feel like this was challenging enough. Maybe you've never given your heart to God or you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but it, it has just become stale and stagnant, and you just need someone to pray with you for just a little bit extra, put some jumper cables on your walk with the Lord this morning, and we're going to invite the altar workers in a few minutes. And if you have anything in your life that you just need breakthrough in, in a few minutes, just come forward. They've been, they've been praying for you already all morning long. Let's worship the Lord for a minute.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, God bless you guys. We sure love you. If We're going to invite our altar workers. If you want to stay for a, minute, or a few minutes, our altar workers will be up here, and they'll pray with you about anything. If you need to leave at any time, you're welcome to leave. We're just going to let this room be a house of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for today.